Welcome to the Board Game Snobs Podcast. Critically harsh reviews with a touch of class. And go. And welcome to the internet. Have a look around. This is the Board Game Snobs Podcast, the only podcast that you need to listen to regarding anything board game related. That's not true. Actually, mostly non board game related. Non board game related. Entertainment related. Entertainment. We're an entertainment board game podcast. We are. And we are highly entertained. I am Gabby, the primary host. That's Jerry, the self-proclaimed star, and Enrique. Hello. Why? I don't, what, what's your What's your definition of yourself? Producer. Producer, but uh, he doesn't. Pro- yeah, I don't produce. Oh, anything. He's going to produce something mascot. for us be, here shortly. Be mascot, least mascot. Manager, manager of money. You, you don't manager. You could give you us. You have some money to give us. Yeah. Silent. Okay, we'll take it, Silent. and we will give you whatever you want. You give us money. You can call yourself whatever you want. Yeah. For six hundred dollars, you can become the executive <laughs> producer. Executive producer Enrique <laughs> Zamora. Sriracha Zamora. Sriracha. That's a spice. It's good. <laughs> Put it's that in some mayonnaise. It's sriracha spice. I don't know if the spice is so much as it's a sauce. A spicy sauce. What is a spice? Girl. Uh, you got scary, know. posh, ginger, baby, sporty. It's a hot sauce. Which one's married to Beckham and who is posh. who is bending him? Posh. Posh? Posh spice. That's, that's British for very fancy. It's right. Right. Gargo. Gargo. Megalodon. Well, hello, Jerry. You haven't seen F9 yet, have you? I haven't seen it. I've seen the reviews of it. They're frightening. It's, it's middling. I read a review, and I'm not going to spoil this for anybody, but in the review, they insinuated that they take a car they into go to space. space. Okay. Go to space. They finally go to space. Okay, this is it. In a Pontiac Fiero, a car which I thought was awesome when I was a young man. Well, it is still awesome. Especially when you put jets on it. What is the oldest and most uncool car you've ever driven or possessed? The oldest and uncoolest? Yes. Uncool. Uncool. Uh, st- my family had a station wagon Mercury Grand Marquis with faux wood paneling. Grand Marquis <laughs> are amazing. Enrique, you don't even know about cars. Yeah, obviously. I Your father why. owns one of those uh National Lampoon vans. Your yeah. dad owns one of those amazing vans that you can stand up in and has a queen-size bed in the back. Oh, nice. I learned to drive on, are you ready for this? Dun, 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 dun. A Delta 88 Oldsmobile 88. Light blue grandma car. Literally only manufactured and marketed to people over 65 years of age. <laughs> this car had the little push-button handle door handle thing uh-huh. okay push button radio it was uh-huh. made in 1988 the delta 88 is my mother's car uh 88 we- must be nice my family drove a 77 pontiac catalina when you opened up the little tray in the middle uh-huh. there was werther's original in it little candies uh-huh. and when you ate them all gone you could close it and every time you opened it it refreshed <laughs> there was always werther's originals like the, tooth, in it. like the werther fairy it was like the werther fairy it smelled of ben gay and ovaltine 
<laughs> the trunk should have been called Routine. Had never been opened. You never got into the trunk of this vehicle. If you, but you could hide like ten bodies in there if you, you needed could. to. <laughs> The previous owner may or may not have been in there preserved. We had a Maverick car. It was called a Maverick. I think it was Ford made, but it was a Maverick. A Ford Maverick. I think it was a Ford Maverick. They don't make them anymore, but yes. And I remember that because that was in Top Gun. His name was Maverick. I was like, hey, that's the name of our car. No, it's cool. That's the name of our car. What's the deal with Maverick? Jerry. I can't do a good anything. Off I don't of know what you're doing. Yeah, it's like, who's the guy that was the tick? He's got the real low voice. Who? The guy who was the tick. He played oh, uh, the uh, putty. 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 Yes. I liked his silky bird baritone. He had that deep voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know what makes that is like there's like folds in your larynx that are just deep cut. That this makes that noise that reverberation deep down reverberation it comes from your diaphragm no breathing no breathing i don't have folds in my larynx i don't you, think hello newman <laughs> i sounded like emperor palpatine oh, hello, newman. hello newman hello newman well that was a it's a british show if it aired on k-e-r-a hello newman you sound like you've lost your way <laughs> Yes, feel your height getting stronger in you. Are you? F- that would have really that would have messed up Star Wars if he had like that real bad Cockney accent. Yes, feel the height growing in you. Are your friends are dead? <laughs> oh, your friends are dead. I'm a stormtrooper. <laughs> hey, what? <laughs> a minute. Like, like, be like, huh? Doesn't quite have the same impact. Yeah, <laughs> what am I watching here? So electricity. Of it. Yeah, he's just sitting there in his chair drinking Foster, throwing <laughs> shrimps on the. We're gonna go down and kill all those Ewoks. <laughs> well, into the dark side. I, your sister. <laughs> That is another, your bloody sister. You kissed your sister. <laughs> you kissed your bloody sister, you did. Bogan. <laughs> you bloody Bogan, you kissed your bloody sister, do you even know it? I think bloody is an actual curse word in... Uh... Oh, 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 but yeah, but we ain't there, are we? Yeah, we're not. So technically it's not a curse word because we are stationed here. Station. Like we're in the Air Force. <laughs> like we're stationed here. Why did I say that? I'm in Fort Texas. Mm, yes. We are here. This is the Board Game Snobs podcast. The Welcome podcast. to the Board Game Snobs. You made a wise choice. I'm Dan Hughes' older cousin, Bland Hughes. Bland Hughes. <laughs> it's Dan Hughes, but slightly milder. <laughs> <laughs> I have no strong opinions. No, I'm Bland Hughes. <laughs> I will pay those oh, prices. No, I, I might pay those prices. I, I might pay those prices. Hi, and welcome to Sporadically Bored. <laughs> Temporarily unamused. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh. That's going to do it for this show. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, I'm out. Do you I can't a, top that. Did you have banter? Or did, you, no. you, you had this orange You just book. saw me put my book wrap on. That means I'm done. But you opened it. But then you didn't say anything out yeah, of it. But because you, I've written. It's all gone. Like, I've crossed it all out. We're we're done. Okay, so I have. I bantered out. I have banter. And, uh, activate the banter section. Oh, okay. On okay. One, two. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. Restart your account. Okay. Hang on a second. I'll activate the banter section. On one, two. Two. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Uh, I've got them in different areas. One. <laughs> one and a half. Two. Two. Okay, so that's it. Uh, activate the banter. There's no one does what board game snobs do better. <laughs> they are almost professional level comedians. Okay, so I was watching the news the other day. Yes. And in our area where I live, southeastern Oklahoma, there was a Oh good for you. Do you mind? Do you mind? <laughs> there was an alert regarding a missing child. Uh oh. And of course, I pay attention to such things. An I'm, amber alert. An amber alert. So, to my horror, okay, just FYI, a few days later, like that day, they found the child. It was a okay, good alert. ending. Good ending. Good to hear. Yeah, yeah. this is not. This is not going to be one of those depressing things. Gabby, of course, relates to me about how he's following somebody on Twitter whose child has been missing. That's supposed to. He was a Twitch streamer, and his daughter Sarah was missing for like a, almost a week. May have been a week. No. As of like today, and I was, I don't, it's just one of those weird things. Like it just popped up in my feed. I'm like, oh, he's a streamer. And he's like, today was my birthday. I was going to do a birthday stream, but my daughter snuck out last night. We're looking for her. And then it turned into like, okay, she hasn't come home. Okay, now we're looking. Okay, now the police are involved. And it just like grew and grew and grew. He had a hashtag find Sarah. His name was like Marky Perk. I think his name's actually Perkins, but he's a Twitch streamer, and it just kind of grew into this thing. And I just—it's just one of those weird things. I just started following on Twitter, and so that I'm like become invested. I'm like, oh my god, are they going to find his daughter? And then he also faces this backlash, which is weird because like people saying because he like went on later on and a couple of days later and was like streaming. He's like streaming about his daughter missing and people are like accusing him of basically using this to promote his stream. It was like super weird and awkward. And, but then like today I'm like, he had on there. I found my daughter and for this person, I do not know, never seen, knew nothing about seven days ago. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe they found his daughter. I was like very happy. Very good, very good. So, Gobby then proceeds to tell me this story, and then I go, yeah, well, I have been, you know, watching this thing that's literally happening a few miles from Gobby. And Gobby says, I have no clue what you're talking no, about. No, don't talk about So, of course, I proceed to berate Gobby for, number one, watching something on Twitter that he has no effect over, but yet being completely... I was very involved. ...ignorant to something that he could affect... That's in his neighborhood. <laughs> My backyard. Your backyard. And so, again, that just... Hugo, the backyard of Paris. Right. Just saying. And it is. It's like where all the chickens are at. Um, 
So, yeah, it was this weird thing of how you can be disconnected by local happenings, but at the same time be so involved in, like, international or national stuff. Yeah. Like, you could completely be... Like, I could literally have gone outside and been on the lookout for this girl missing from Hugo, but I didn't know she was missing because I had no idea. But yet, this guy, I don't even know where he's from, what he's doing, but I was invested in his story. Right. Which gets me to my point about how useless social media is. (laughs) It's like, so we have this same thing, same thing that happens in board gaming, where there's so much news and stuff, like things going on, and a lot of it's drama. Like things happen, and they get splattered all over Twitter or various areas, and it's, it's like you have to stay up on everything to be involved in anything. And I don't like that. Like, I don't like being involved in the drama of Twitter or any of the board game stuff. Well, that's all it is, is drama on Twitter. Right. I do, however, like to know about what's going on and being able to see the upcoming stuff. But it's like, if you want to know about anything, you also have to be involved in the Twitter and the craziness that is social media. And what I have found that the easiest thing to do to avoid all the negative and just get the positive is that I just go to BGG and look at the hotness. Yeah. That's I, I, you know what's funny? I, I very rarely, very rarely visit BGG. So all I do is I go into BGG, I look at the hotness. Which is pretty much the nexus of the board gaming universe if you're a board gamer and a podcaster. Yeah, yeah I go to BGG, I look at the hotness, and then I look at the advertisements for the Kickstarter that are always on the sidebar. And then in our Facebook group, you know, our Facebook group is lit. But we don't ever post nothing in there. But anyways, but various other Facebook groups where they're posting about stuff, I tend to pay attention to that, and I just ignore the drama. And so, like, I have no drama unless I choose to be involved in it. Like, if I choose to look at Twitter stuff, or if I choose to look and dig deep and figure out who's done what or who said what. And I think that's great. I think that's a great way of avoiding drama. And I would just say that if there's anything anybody needs in their life, it's to avoid drama. Drama is stress. So, why do you think it is that people like drama? Why is TNT so, it, it, you know, TNT the drama network? Which has That's that. a good question because I know of people, possibly even in my own family, that I feel like, I don't know if it's almost like they don't, it's like, I don't know, it's like they must, to me, if I'm them, I'm thinking... I don't feel alive unless I'm involved in drama. And I don't know if it's they've seen too many movies, TV shows that are like, oh, yeah, there's lots of drama. So I, ha- I need to have the same thing to have something. I don't know. I don't know. I, I detest drama, anything stressful in my life. So, but people love it and they engage in it. That's my thing. Why would you engage in it? And I've seen people like, even if someone comes at you, why would you react to that? Because all that does is just perpetuate it. And if someone came at me, I'd just be like, okay, I'm not going to reply. No, I'm going to fight them. I fight everybody because you know me. I'm, like I, I'm not. I won't. I don't engage in Meet it. Meet me behind the easy They can mark. say whatever. I mean, of course, unless it's a friend or someone I know well, and then I can respond in a reasonable manner. I don't respond. But on the internet, why would you even bother responding to these people that are wanting to just start fights? 
Because it's fun. I think for some people, it it's cliche, but it's like, I think for some people, it makes them feel alive. Yeah, I think it's true. And so here's the thing. This is what I've, I've given this some thought. I think that having drama in your life gives you purpose. It makes you feel... Porpoise. Porpoise. It makes you feel... It makes you feel like you're doing something or that you're important. Like you've got something going on when really the lack of drama in one's life to me is an indication of the health of the person, not just mentally, but also what's the term I want to use? Like when you've got your life together, you have got all your ducks in a row. You're prioritized. Uh-huh. You have your priorities you are not yelling at the drive through lady because she forgot your <laughs> right. ketchup that you wanted to mix in with your mustard. Yes. Because you're a deviant. Love that, though. Enrique. Gives it a nice tang. Don't look at me like that. You man. and your mustard ketchup. That's No, gummy. that's me. I like the mustard ketchup. I do not understand how I have come to be in the presence of so many perverted people in my life that would mix condiments. You got to to spice it up. You don't have ketchup to. is lame by itself. Ke- it's okay. It's good. Don't get me wrong. Ketchup I put ketchup on everything. I don't put ketchup on anything. I love ketchup. I but eat it's- my fries dry. <laughs> Why? You know why? Because they're fine. No, some of them are not. Most of them are. Uh, Get you a good crinkle cut from Brahms. I'll eat Brom Brom fries with ketchup. It's pretty good. I'll eat Brahms. Get you a good crinkle cut. Dip it in some ketchup. Add a little bit of mustard to it. No, here's here's my question. Here's my question. Here's my question. Mustard engage. You're not eating fries then. You're just eating ketchup because you can't taste the fries. You can't taste the fries. No, you cannot. Drown it in the ketchup. No, you're not. No, if you put ketchup, it's just like putting onions on anything. It just tastes like right now. You're creating drama. I'm not creating. No, because you are ignorant. I'm hashtag. You're calling me names so as to create drama. You called me ignorant. That's a name. That's not a name. That's a descriptor. Okay. Well, you. You're calling me descriptors. How dare you? You are a descriptor. I am a descriptor. I am a descriptor. Descriptor, engage. It's just robots that walk around describing things. This is a planet. <laughs> Adjectives, engage. I am descriptor. <laughs> this conversation is useless. <laughs> Uh, I personally, if a drama is in my life, I shut down. I can't cope, and that's why I'm on medicine now. Effexor for the win. FTW. Is that working? I'm drinking lots of alcohol as well, so no, who don't knows? I'm negating. I'm negating the Effexor with whiskey. That's not effective. It's not Effexor. <laughs> Effexor, engage. <laughs> it's the Depressicon. <laughs> what is the point? <laughs> Why should I continue on? <laughs> so I have. <laughs> so, I can't get off real. We love because it's the I'm sorry. I'm going to have to take a moment for that. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I have been struggling with uh, depression, anxiety. Uh, I went to the doctor and got put on some medicine. Finally, I'm diagnosed, Jerry. I know. I, I begged you to do it. 
I shamed you. I mean, you shamed me to get diagnosed. Yes. She's like, yeah, get on some medicine, stat. <laughs> and I'm like, but what about whiskey? <laughs> she looked at you. What a miserable oh, person. A miserable. How could you not be depressed? Depressed to con. Engage. Tell me about yourself. Well, I have a nice podcast. Uh, so I'm on Effexor now. Destigmatize. Normalize depression medicine. <laughs> oh, uh, is that what we're supposed to be doing? Normalize. I do think that it is a, uh, and I'm about to hang that, on. I, I'm going to tell you real quick before you say your thing. Now I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Say what you're going to say. I have had people tell me, don't tell people I'm on medicine. Why? And I'm like, why? Because in this economy? <laughs> Everybody should be up. And I'm like, and there's there's so much going on. There's so much wrong with the world. What? And there's so many people that are so f- messed up. Who? What? You're what? on medicine. Wait a minute. Be on medicine. Wait a minute. It's okay to be on medicine. Who, what? Why? Who is telling you this? Uh, there's. I know tons of people that feel like if you let people know that you're on some sort of uh, antidepressant, anxiety medicine, like, I don't know that they're looked upon as crazy or whatever i don't know but that hey that's how i grew up my whole life like people and even me like when i was growing up if you were on meds like oh there must be something wrong they're like there's something wrong with them but now in this economy okay so first off okay soapbox engaged <laughs> soap what oh i need to say <laughs> soapbox engage Okay, for number one, the only thing that is, and this really destigmatized. Yes. So the fact is, is that all that it indicates is that you're taking care of your mental health. Right. And that something, quote unquote, is wrong. Well, if you're diabetic, you're going to be taking insulin or some sort of pills for that. So you're not going to shame anybody for taking a medication for something that's physically wrong. Most of depression is something that is physically wrong. Whether it be for the lack or the uh, overabundance of some sort of neurotransmitter or whatever it may be, that taking a medication to help regulate that, even if it's for short-term or PRN use, that is addressing an issue. It's What's PRN? PRN is when you need it. Oh. PRN is when you need it. So it's it's something that you need to take to be able to either function or to be more optimal. More optimal. Optimal and whatever you're... You, Whatever your emotional state is, it's stupid to think that just because somebody is taking a medication that there's something wrong. Like the, they're unstable. You're That's ta- basically you're taking a medication. There's a stigma, though. I, and you know that, right? I, I, I. My whole life growing up. I don't know. There's that, been no. a stigma to people taking medicine. I don't know. For that. depression. I, like you feel like, oh, this type of this person taking this medicine like they're a drag to be around. No. That that was my stigma growing up because I grew up in the age of when this all was starting and it's like if someone is on antidepressants uh yeah, there's like oh yeah, they're kind of a drag if they're not on, on antidepressants there's something wrong with them. Well, you're the most depressed person I know and that's why I was like completely encouraging you and have been for years to get you to do something about it because it, I don't think that there one. There's no need for you to be depressed. You're around the greatest person ever. And <laughs> well, I mean, shut there's, up, Enrique. But there's, but uh, like in my case, there's most people think that you can fix it by other means. How? 
uh, exercise and diet usually you don't is the do one that either of those. No, <laughs> no, I do not. But I'm telling you. But you don't. And here's my point that I want to make. You don't diet and exercise not because you're lazy and you're fat and you do this or that. That's not. I like motivation. No, it's not necessarily motivation. You have other emotional issues that are a hindrance to you that encourage you to view view, view food as a comfort measure. It oh, is God, your yes. Oh, yes. So so, anytime, I'm, anytime I deal with drama or stress, I go to food and drink. Right. And so that's that in itself is an issue. So why not address that utilizing some sort of pharmaceutical and then address some of the underlying issues that is exercise and health and things of that nature? From the standpoint of it being a mental health thing rather than it just being a, you know, I'm depressed, so thus I eat, and so thus this is what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 on this, it irritates me. But most people, like my wife. I hate people. The wife. Not your wife. Gina. I like your wife. Gina is able to deal with stress in a normal way. Yeah, but Gina's irritating because she's so happy all the time. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Even her family, uh, interestingly enough, well, I won't go into her family. They're all happy. She is able to deal with stress in a normal way. Whereas when it comes to me, I, <laughs> my table, and I mentioned this in episode 162, when the wine got spilled, the game got ruined, the playmat got... And I told Charday this. I said... I was in a funk for three days. Right, and that's not normal. Because my setup in this room, the thing I had, my this is my go-to room for fun and relaxation, was in upheaval. The, ga- the table was a mess. The mat was gone because I pulled it up and I couldn't put the new one down. I was trying to take the table apart. If I don't have things a certain way in my life, it just... It, I'm off the rails. I can't deal with it. Right. That's not normal. No. My wife can deal with it. She deals with it in a normal fashion. It doesn't completely just annihilate her emotionally as it does me. So me and Jerry have become friends over the years. I've told him some of my stuff and he's like, you need freaking help. And he forced me. He literally Enrique. I forced him. He forced me to go to the doctor. And yeah. we had a phone call in which he fought me and I because I said I would go to the doctor. And then I changed my mind because I was feeling better the next day. And he said, no, you're li-. So you lied to me. You said you'd go to the doctor. I was like, yeah, well, I was feeling bad that day. I feel good now. And that's the thing. That's depression. You have your good days. You don't want to deal with it. Then you have your bad days. You don't want to deal with it. <laughs> So, so either day, you don't, don't want to deal, deal with, with it. it. And I was feeling good. He's like, no, you need to go to the freaking doctor. I was like, no, Jerry, you're not the boss of me. And he's like, well, you're not. You, and we, I am the boss we had me. a drop. We had a, a drop dead argument in which Jerry was. He's so freaking pig headed. He wouldn't just I leave me alone. Peacefully. <laughs> and so finally, I was like, all right, fine, fine. Because he's like, you feel good now, so you don't want to deal with it. But then when you feel bad, that's when you need help. And I'm like, yeah, but I feel good right now. I don't want to deal with it. And it's this vicious cycle of mental depression and anxiety 
you need help with it. So he called a lady that he knows because he's in the, he's a medical professional, as he often proclaims. And I went to her. She was very nice. She said, yeah, you've got some issues. Prescribe me Effexor. I'm all good, baby. We're sponsored by Effexor now. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast. Big man. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Pfizer. <laughs> Uh, but no, I think that, and that's an important thing to bring up is that there's so much drama and so much stuff that's going on in the world today and that depression and anxiety and these things of this nature are kind of insidious and that sometimes you get in this funk that you don't want to deal with it or you don't know what to do with it and you do just sometimes have to just make an appointment and take care of it. And it's something that I'm particularly sensitive about because not only have I dealt with it in the past but in my employment – and being around various other, you know, kind of like uh, jobs, such as you know, not just on the fire department and EMS, but also police, that there is a lot of anxiety and depression in those jobs. I was told when I took a job in the ambulance, I remember years back, that every five years, you, five years is as long as you last. Five years is the burnout. People burn out. Mm-hmm. And then you start hearing all these statistics about, you know, most cops, you know, this uh, kind of a trigger warning regarding that. But most cops commit suicide. Than di- more cops commit suicide than those that die really? in the field. Yeah. And the firemen rate of people who are just not just alcoholics, but just have various other issues with depression, anxiety is incredibly high. And so it was something that they were always pressuring us. And at the same time, those are the least people that will talk about it. And so having an environment where you're very open about it. And I think that in board gaming, that can be a very insidious thing because it is an activity where people can be very recluse and closed down. Have your small group of people where you, you, you show up, you do your thing. You never talk about anything of great importance. You feel somewhat good when you engage in this activity. You go home. And you never really stop to think about your own mental health, and you just go back to the daily grind. And I think it's important for people who not only suffer from depression or anxiety or, or think that they might do to kind of, you know, reevaluate what type of help they might need. It's a thing that people should do occasionally. Well, and depression and anxiety is, can be genetic, right? Uh, well, of course, there's a lot of mental health issues that, that can be genetic. Um, I only say that because my mother had depression and there was like times where weeks would go by she'd just be cooped up in her bedroom my brother uh we're getting really okay but my brother has issues he's had issues Mm -hmm. he uh attempted suicide my mother attempted suicide so it's like it's a thing so and especially if it's in your family you need to take care of that right what would you do without me i would do you and enrique i I died he's useless yeah, useless. He's useless. No, you. He's clicked. absolutely useless. But on a, yes, I mean, and I mean, and like I said, on a serious note, I mean, that's something that I have seen happen, not just with coworkers, and I mean, people that I have known have gone down that route, and it is it's it's a scary thing, and it. I've never had those thoughts. FYI, I just get. I I would say mine. I do get depressed, but mine is more anxiety based. Right. I think that's just something that people need to be mindful of. Not just the anxiety and the depression, but I'm going to step off my soapbox because I could talk on this for an hour. Maybe we need to do a podcast about this, but I will say this. People don't know what it's like not to be depressed when you're depressed. Yeah. The feeling itself is odd. You are used to feeling a certain way. 
you think this is normal, you think this is fine until you're not that way and it shocks you. Um, there's days when I remember being a kid and it's like, oh, we're going to Six Flags. I'm super excited to go to Six Flags. But then as a grown adult, <laughs> most people generally live for the weekends, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. But when you're depressed, like there's literally nothing you look forward to. Like nothing. Nothing brings you excitement. All the things you enjoy, nothing gone. works. Like you're just, hmm, I'm miserable and for no reason. And it's like, that's just, it's like you're, the things that would normally bring you joy, like that's it. It's not there. It's gone. You just feel nothing. Like you just, you literally just feel nothing. It's a weird feeling. And then when you come out of that, or when I come out of that, I'm like, oh, yeah. So that's a feeling I probably shouldn't have because now I recognize, oh, yeah, now I do want to do this. I do want to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference between being depressed, not being depressed. And that's what a lot of people forget is that depression is not necessarily feeling bad. By definition, depression is the lack of emotion. Yes. You can feel nothing. You cannot feel bad or good. It's just the lack or the complete absence of enjoyment or anticipation. And that alone, that can be just as insidious as the... It sucks. Yeah. And, so, well, and that's why like, I've known people that are depressed, and I do it myself. But I, I, I'm like, oh, but, uh, okay, well, just think of this. We're going to do this and this, and we've got this to look forward to. This, But when you're depressed... I can list off stuff all day, but it doesn't matter to me. Right. And I think that's – and I've, I've often thought that if there was actually some sort of study done sociology-wise on board gamers, the amount of games that somebody buys, it, it, along with one of those charts that say, all right, you know, like – A Venn diagram. The, that, like that up and down thing where it goes, okay, the more games you have, the chances of you being depressed goes up as well. It's like <laughs> It's like you are buying more games to have something that you can anticipate – that may bring you joy in the future. Yes. I think, and I often worry when I, I when I see people on Facebook and places, they're like, how big is your collection? I've got 400 games. And I'm like, how many are you playing? And why are you buying that? Are you just a collector? Or are you one of these people who are just trying to find enjoyment by purchasing something to have something to look forward to and the thought of looking forward to playing this game that you're never going to play you're not going to open it you're just going to punch it or just put it on the shelf and that's it then on to the next thing it's like you're you're trying to anticipate something that you'll never get but it's you want to put something out in front of you that you can pursue if that's not some sort of pathological depression amongst board gamers it is <clears throat> because you, uh, I don't know if you remember, but we had this conversation after one of our podcasts ended one day in, in which you proceeded to tell me I need help because I said, I basically all my joy comes from things I'm looking forward to. Right. Which is not good. So your, your joy comes from things in the future that have not happened, but you're trying to create something to look forward to. That's your hope and that's your joy. So. That's not normal. That's not healthy. You should be able to enjoy the present, I guess. Right. And this is something that's something that I learned from my wife. It, it's something that it, the it, wife, the wife that completely shocked me. Jennifer's her name, Jerry. Ah, uh, yeah. I just call her the wife. <laughs> um, is that 
putting something off or degrade, uh, delayed gratification is, is a true thing. But when it comes to your own mental health, being present and enjoying something in the present, that's what it's about. It's, it's not about having your phone out and trying to record your kid doing something and taking pictures and being on Facebook. It's about being able well, to... you got to show other people how happy you are. No, it's about being able to observe and to be a part of something. It's not about buying stuff and then watching for reactions like it's likes or engaging in a specific activity. It's just about being with that person or those people and enjoying the moment and being present in it and not thinking or being worried or depressed or anxietyed out about something else in the future. Just being in the moment. And if you can't do that, if you're sitting here, one of those types that are always trying to put something off or have something to look forward to, you have to have something else to make you happy. And you can't be present in the moment. You're probably depressed. This is absolutely nothing what we were having planned talking about or how we got <laughs> yes. on this. But I so but since we're on it. If you have issues like that, then obviously go to somebody that's a medical professional. We are not doctors. I am a medical professional. <laughs> Jerry is a medical but professional. I can't give medical device devices. Devices or I, advice. Advice over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast. Perhaps you shouldn't be seeking medical advice <laughs> from the guy that you listen to on the podcast. But anyways, that's our banter section. Good Lord, that got heavy. Wow. That wait, was, wait, wait. Let me see here. Oh, do you do have this. another cut? No, wait, wait, wait. So that's a nice bookend. I like, I, it might be the Weller talking. <laughs> but I, for some reason, I, you know how sometimes. Weller, I terrible antidepressant why does alcohol make you feel so good but then depressing well um here comes the knowledge it holy cow what's that there's a hologram at the bottom of this you cup. said that before it's the crown royal glass i gave you you have a crown royal glass and it has a hologram god yeah. gave me this glass it's got a it's with, got a crown. And it has a crown on what looks to buy, looks like to be some sort of regal pillow. Regal. <laughs> <laughs> have you never laid your head on a, a regal pillow? <laughs> I have. Well, every time the queen goes to sleep, she lays her head on a regal pillow. <laughs> that, that sounded super weird. It sounded like Jeff Goldblum. Come into my hotel room. Go uh, sleep and, on a real pillow. And uh, everybody likes uh, uh, talking about uh, Queen Elizabeth. Okay, we're done. Go. Yeah. We got a. Okay. Democker. Democker. Megan Democker. She married us. Weren't we going to discuss Democker this podcast? It's oh, Democker. If I keep calling it Democker, please don't send me hate mail because it's special. Spelled die in English, and so every time I see it, I think that the D I E that's die. die. die that's die in American. Die. Kill Bill. Die mocker. <laughs> uh, that was a uh, die mocker was the first game, if I'm not mistaken, that was ever yes, listed yes, on yes, BGG. Yes, yes. Says that. It is a Euro game about German politics. German. 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 Um. 
that it was a grail game for me. Diamonker was literally a grail game for me that I have been wanting to play forever. The old version of it looked awful. The new version of it is spiced up just a little bit. This is by Stronghold Games and Spielworks, I believe. It came out. I had the Kickstarter. It has sat on my shelf for a long time, and finally we got to play it. Diamonker has this very weird board, circular, with all these tracks everywhere, and the whole game is based around these various stages where you're placing these cubes, which can represent either rallies or votes, and you're trying to get the most votes in these regions to win these political elections or whatever they are, whatever these things are taking place in Germany. I don't know what they are. Quite frankly, this is a very complicated, heavy... <laughs> it's super complicated. It's very complicated. It has a full-page front and back player aid that's the only thing that helped me through this game yes because as jerry's talking about it describing it we're playing it i'm like this uh, we've played some a lot of games 300 and something of i have logged on bgg 400 and something maybe this game is one of the heaviest games i've played this game fried my brain in such a way because it, was, it felt it's, good it's not it intuitive good. at all Oh. So here's here's what this game does. Here's what this game does that I think is very fascinating. It takes a mechanic, a little bit, a sassant of every type of mechanism out there. It takes just a little bit, and it throws it in there and says, okay, this is kind of area control. Okay, also, it's also kind of like uh, engine building. Okay, it's also hand management. Okay, you know what? No, 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 no. It's also kind of like resource management. Oh, by the way, you have this hand of cards over here, and you can only use a certain amount of it. And you need to play this short game. But you also need to play this long game. <laughs> but you also, you need to really, you can negotiate and sometimes. And you got to use your money just right. Oh, there's money involved, too. And, oh, by the way, and it's like, it's, it's this annoying little person in the background that keeps saying, and by the way, you can also... You know, you have to pay attention. And stage one, you should... And it just goes, and it nitpicks you to death. But when you play this game, the first round of it, and literally after you've learned to play this game and you play for, play through it, the first round is just a mulligan. Oh, it's, yeah, because that first round, I had no idea what I was doing and why certain things were necessary. the first round ended, I knew it. The moment the first round ended... I thought to myself, We're like, we played that last round, first round wrong. <laughs> I thought this, I did something wrong. What's going on? And then I, this, by the second round, there's four rounds in this game. By the end of the second round, I was going, Oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. By the third round, I was engaged. And by the fourth round, we were fighting. I was completely engrossed in this game and thought to myself, My God, this is genius. You're trying to get votes and influence votes. And pay off votes. And the first round, I had no idea what I was doing. And then, like, there was one critical thing where you could, like, plant voters or so. I don't even know how you would describe it game-wise. So the game is very abstract because anything that's complicated has to be abstract. When you set up the game, there's four areas in this big circle with all these tracks. This is a game of tracks. And in those four areas, you set out how many basically victory points that each area is worth. And so there's big areas that are worth a lot of victory points and some that are worth little. And so that instantly has this dichotomy in the game where are you going to play the long game or are you going to play the short game? Are you going to put rallies and 
resources into this area that's in round four because you can play the entire board. Or are you going to focus on what is just right now? And what happened in our game was that me and Gavi completely fought each other over the first two rounds of the game. Enrique was strangely absent, completely out of the game the first round. I, I was I had no factor in the first round whatsoever. Very little in the second round. Enrique almost clutched this game. He literally sat out <laughs> half of the game, but in the second half of the game, blew us away and almost won it. And that, to me, was what just fascinated me about this game was that how can somebody come in from behind? Uh, what other game can you sit around and do nothing hardly except play the long game, put all your resources and your rallies off, and then come in at the very last and be the person that I, if you, I had laid money down, yeah, he's going to win it. It was an amazing game. And some of the parts of this game is you have these hands of cards that are your shadow I'm not shadow agents. I've been playing a lot of Mass Effect lately. I keep you call them a shadow something. Keep thinking of the shadow broker. I, I, the uh, Mass Effect, the uh, legendary. Agents. Yeah, the shadow agents. And the shadow agents come out, and they are these cards that you can play face down that are your superpowers. And they give you a little hand of these. And it, there's only like three of them. And you can play them out throughout the game. And so during a certain phase of the game, you go, okay, does anybody want to play a shadow agent? And you place it down. Everybody places them down face down, and you turn them up. And they do incredible things. And they can completely rig the election almost. And so those cards are super powerful. But if I play one and I'm first player and I play one that cancels out Enrique's action because you can only do one action per each round that is of the same type, that really messes him up. So now you have this interesting little mechanic of player order really matters and i love it when player order matters and jerry was mainly first player for most of the, the game. entirety of the game was it the entire i fought for first player because the moment i realized how important it was i held it i won the game by the skin of my teeth and i'm pretty sure that the only reason i won it was because I held first player throughout the game. So there's a thing at the beginning of each round. You bid for player order and you bid with money, which I love. I love it when player... Designers listen. If player order matters and you make me spend something to get it, you've got my attention. There is nothing better when a game says, by the way, who goes first matters. And this is how you determine it. You've added an element to the game that has immediately engaged me. I love it. This game does it. The second thing that it does is very The King is Dead. The King is Dead is an amazing game where you have eight cards that you can only play throughout the entirety of the game. Those shadow agents, whatever you have, having those cards and being able to play them and when you play them and who plays them and what the player order, that is a whole nother game in itself. I love that. The second thing that you do of placing these cubes, which represent your rallies, which you use these rallies to basically multiply into votes, you can place them into the current election that's taking place, or you can think long-term and plan them into the fourth round of the game. Because even though, for example, in the first game, and the first round of the game that, that we did, me being just completely absent, and Gabi and Jerry fighting over the first half... 
I played a little bit of the long game and went for the second half of the game. And I completely blew them out of the water in the in the second round. It, it complete. I have not seen a game where a player can be so absent and be so far behind, and then play the long game completely, completely ignore the short game of it, and then just show up and give us such incredible, such a hard time than Enrique did in this game. Enrique completely was not even in the first round, ignored it completely, started planning in the second round, and by the third round, Enrique just showed up and said, I'm going to win this. And it shows because you can play a short and long game in this entire event. Like you, I, I, I was playing very balanced. Gabi was playing very short game. Enrique was playing the long game as is my usual style. from the entire time. And it it was interesting that you have three players playing completely different games, feeling completely different about the game. And it was so razor sharp, so close the entire game. That what what that's what indicates to be that this game has been play tested and refined like a only a euro game by somebody who knows what they're doing can make the final score was you had 137 enrique 125 me 118 and that all stems from a first round when none of us knew what we were doing well or didn't really have the full grasp of the consequences of what we were doing because I thought I lost, I was going to lose in the right. like the and, entire game because I was absent in the first round. Uh, and this, <laughs> I'm going to come out and say, without a doubt, this is not not my type of game. No, I don't like this game. But it's not for anything other than the fact that it's just not my type of game. As far as mechanisms, gameplay, this game is absolutely freaking brilliant in that I've never seen anything else like it. This is a game unlike anything else I've ever played. Uh, Negotiation, bidding, worker placement. It's unlike anything I've ever played in my life. And it's it's interesting because there is a little, like the negotiation. There's very little negotiation in it. The only thing happens is is that when a round is over, you're adding up the votes, and you have to get past a certain point for one person to be declared the winner. But in the first early rounds, it's it's often that a player won't reach that threshold. And so two players can then say, okay, we're going to ally, and we are going to get the victory point. So that's when the negotiation happens, is when these players can decide who is going to be partnered. So it's just a little bit of negotiation. It's a little bit of area control. It's a little bit of hand management. It's a little bit of engine building. And the, I feel like there's some min, uh, manipulation with the with the social media yes. that's in the game. So there's this just insane little thing that when you're playing this game, you don't realize what's important. But there's these little pegs that you put out that are media. Media little markers, they call them. And... They cost a bunch of money to put them out there. But when you put them out there, whoever controls the media can control what people kind of are wanting in this region. So each region has these four cards, and it shows either negative or positive. And then, like, 
five, six, seven, I believe, different issues that they're either negative or positive about. And they stem from like popular opinions of like education, pollution, things of that nature. And your agenda, which is kind of like your engine, is what your party's position is. So if your cards match those that are out there, then that's bonus points. Bonus points, they're multipliers. And so you want your agenda to match this region. What is so insane? And those change from round to round. Right. And so each region has different opinions. And so this weird thing takes place where your engine looks like it matches perfectly at round one, but at round two, you can look and see you don't match up at all. And so there's this another round of the game where you're switching out your agenda. It's like, ah, I was pretty tough on pollution, but now I really don't care about it. Okay, uh, Halliburton. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's very... It, I like Monsanto's. This game, I have no issues saying this game is freaking brilliant. Yes. I don't like it, but it's freaking brilliant. Because it's like... Okay, we're going to go to, uh, just to make it something I can relate to, we're going to go to New York and campaign. But what the people in New York want is going to be completely different than what the people in Texas want. So then after New York, we're going to go to Texas and campaign. We need to change up what we're saying a little bit. That's exactly what But it's not not only that. There is even the, the pegs that Jerry was talking about. If you have enough pegs in a certain town that you're trying to control the media and you control that media, you can con- you can change the people's political views yes. as well. Which is super with media, which, which is, is super <laughs> harmful. There is nothing more frustrating than having the perfect I agenda. I had the perfect hand and Jerry, due to him having the media Wrapped around his finger. Whatever, yeah. He took swapped out cards that I needed, and he took them out. I, this game, it's like, in retrospect, I want to say I love this game, but I don't. I hate this game. I love it. But it's freaking <laughs> so brilliant. This game so is... I've never, I've never played anything like it. I, this is a, this is a, There's certain classifications that I have of games in my head, and this is one of those special games that I call a Bubba game. When me and Bubba play a game, we're often at each other's throat, and there's certain games that often, are often, every time. Every time. There's never been a time. But like Bubba makes it clear that when we play a game... <laughs> His point of a game is to beat you. Yes. And this is a Bubba game. Like I would play this with Bubba. I would love heartbeat. to see Bubba play this game. And this game is an interstellar. Like I loved Christopher Nolan films. I remember going to the movie theater and watching Interstellar. And being completely blown away. And walking out of the movie theater and telling my wife, I think this is one of the greatest films I've ever seen. I never want to watch it again. (laughs) And I have never watched Interstellar again. It is an amazing film. You should watch it once. But to repeat it, it's almost like, you know, there's like a reason when you, you see something and it doesn't, it doesn't come out right on film. Like, you're watching fireworks, and you can't record it on your phone. Because there's no point. Nobody gets online and watches videos of fireworks. A sunset. Yeah, nobody watches a shooting star on somebody's grainy iPhone video of it. You see it in person, and you watch it once, and then it's in that back of your head that you can't really picture it, but you know how it made you feel. 
Die Mocker is a game that when I played it, I remember thinking the whole time, holy cow. This is why this game is held up as being one of the best. This game is special. And at the same time, I thought to I myself, can't stand it. there are so many people out here that this game will not speak to. So for those of you who are Euro fans, that you like dry Euros, that you like tracks, multipliers, and you are willing to put in the effort to play a game that is going to be, uh, you know, it's a, it's a heavy-weighted game. Uh, on saying that, though, once uh, once it was set up, once you went through it, even uh, I'm the type of person, and I, uh, Jerry gets angry at me for this, we can watch a, how it's played. I can, I can watch a game on how it's played. It does me no good. I personally have to go through the steps of the game to understand how it's played. This game... First round, a complete loss to me because I had no idea what I was doing. But that player aid literally tells you every step of the game. And I loved that player aid, and every game should have a player aid like that. This player aid was the only saving grace of this game. I will say that the components are very plain. There's nothing. Just cubes and cylinders. There, there's nothing. There's nothing <laughs> fancy about it. There's nothing fancy about it's the, the art. Game cubes, cylinders, and paper great. money. I will say the paper money was awful. I will say that when I opened up the rule book, the rule book was one of those Agricola, Uwe Rosenberg type rule books where it's small print. Everything's just small out there to you. I read the rule book and I halfway got it. I watched a video and I halfway got it. And it's like the whole time. I was having this problem in learning it of like feeling comfortable, but the moment I set it up and you pull out that player aid, it's like it has your hand and it just walks you through it. You can literally read through the rule book, watch a video on it, and feel pretty comfortable about it. And then after that, I don't think we ever opened the rule book. We just went off that player aid. Just went off the player aid. This game is a grail game for me. I think that it 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 has a potential to be a top ten game for me. It is mechanically one of the most complicated intricate but yet just fun and tight games I think I've ever played at the same time it's themeless in a lot of ways and not necessarily as engaging as some games like you don't you know you don't really feel like you're I don't know what it feels like to be a German politician. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe they, they, they walk around drinking beer and going to Dusseldorf. I don't know what they do. I don't know. I don't, Dusseldorf. Like, like, what is Dusseldorf? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. Is this theme is so foreign to me? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, to, well, to, I mean, it, uh, to me, it, ignore the fact that it's German. It, it, it felt political to me. I, I got guess. the political feel. Yeah. But like I said, it's like going to campaign in New York, then going to campaign in Texas. Yeah. This game des- desperately needs to be revamped into a lighter, more streamlined other version, I think. But otherwise, this was an amazing game. And I see why it was so respected. And I, I'm, I am very pleased. The other Grail game that I've been wanting to play has been Hansa Teutonica and Diamocra. I got them both kind of at the same time. I have not been disappointed in either. No. And I think that they are both old just, games that hold just up. old games that you're going to have a hard time beating. 
which I'm very pleased with because we played Pillars of the Earth a long time ago. And it was trash. Mm, Pillars of the Earth. That's my thing. Pillars of the Earth has been surpassed. Yes, it has. I don't say it's trash. It was good. Uh, I'll take that back. It was for good. what it was when it was. I'm sure it was good. Absolutely. And there are games that are good for what they are when they are. And at the same time, when you have these games, when they come out and they get killed, for instance, and I'm I'm going to caveat this. Let me end this real fast. I think Die Mocker is excellent. I don't think it's for everybody. No. If you're a Euro fan, obviously. I approve it, and Rike, give it a score. I give it ten at least. Holy cow! I didn't know you. No, it doesn't matter. Like, it's a ten for me. Can you like, get okay, a ten at least okay. on a scale of one. One hundred. Okay, well, let Enrique talk. Go. Like the theme to me. Hey, you put that glass on the table. No glasses on the table. I have drank all this Weller. I know. Put it on that. <laughs> I drink your Weller. Your milkshake. Go, Enrique. Put that on that table over there, not on the, the table. Theme, table. No, there's nothing left, buddy. For me, the theme will not impact my my rating for this game. You thought Germans were mythical creatures until we played <laughs> this game, and I explained to you that they were real. The theme for me will not impact the rating for this game because the mechanics and just the gameplay itself is just so freaking hard but so engaging it's, it it won't impact my rating for for this game it's just so good have you, ever, have you ever played a game it just, just blows me away every time this completely blows me away every time I play a game that is so freaking heavy and Enrique who doesn't read real books who goes by just whatever I'm telling him, just d- dominates, d- dominates a game, <laughs> and understands mechanics. He gets the most random things, and, and, and he so just there dominates are random them. games. I'm going to make a list of random games that Enrique <laughs> is War a, chest is a. Oh my god! <laughs> Let's just give you a quick overview of War Chest. The fact is, is that I don't know what's wrong with War Chest, but apparently. It is designed, the whoever designed War Chest, the guy who did uh, uh, Undaunted, I can't think of his name off time, David Thompson, I think it was, uh, who just sits down and decides that he's going to make a game that is going to speak to, I don't know, Gen Zers that live in basements <laughs> and who have neck love beards chicken nuggies. and love chicken nuggets. Because the fact is, is that every game that he makes, Enrique goes, I know how to play it. It's like, no, you don't. Like, you, you, you never read the rule book. Oh, I don't need a rule book. I've got this. Yeah. Anyways, so Die Mocker. I would give D Mocker, I'll say it correctly, I guess, D Mocker. For me personally, like I said, I hate it. It's not my style of game, but I can't deny it's freaking genius. Uh, I'd give it an 8 just because of that. 8 out of 10. And And I didn't like it. I hated it. But I have to acknowledge its uniqueness. And that's why I was saying, like, it's a grill game. It's old. Just like Hansa Teutonica. It's a cube pusher. But literally, I've never played a game like Hansa Teutonica. Yeah. Yeah. Pillars of the Earth. It's a worker placement. It's been replaced several times since Pillars of the Earth. I'm not much of an art snob, but when you've ever been to like a museum. I don't like museums. I like like museums because the fact that it, this is curated pieces of things 
that people who apparently are in the know say that this is important. And I like looking at stuff and going, well, I might not understand why it's important or why it's good, but there's something deep in me that says... I realize that it's hard to depict light, but Thomas Kincaid is the painter of light. Am I right, yeah, guys? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, you, yeah, it's like you see something like a Pollock or something, and you look at it and go, I can't, I can't describe exactly what it is, but there's something inside of me telling me that this is important. That this is this is something nice. There was one time when I was down in San Antonio. I went to this art a starry fair. night. I went to this art fair, and there was this guy that just had painted random things. And I walked into all these paintings. And you know how it is when you're looking at all these paintings, and you know you're not going to buy them. You're not going to buy a painting. Like you just you just don't. No, want to spill you're just in there no. just to look look at. Them. I walked not by, unless it's Star Wars based. I walked by this, and you just got a new Mandalorian poster. Thank you, Bubba. It looked good. Oh, Bubba got you that. Yeah, I love that man. I walked by this guy's paintings, and there was one that I stopped and I stared at it for a long time. And he comes over and says, do you like it? And I said, what is this? And he says, it's a fire. And I go, "I yeah, I know that's what it is, but it looks like it's like, it's like it's indoors. I said, I, I, I said, I was a fireman at the time, and I said, this looks like a fire that's, encased in something it was this beautiful picture of a abstract painting of a fire i said it looks like it's a fire inside a house like it's in into this dark room and this guy says yeah he says i he was watching some movie and he describes to me where he got this inspiration for this fire and he says backdraft it's something basically is what it was <laughs> he says i drew a picture of what i thought a fire looks like inside a house and he says it's just this dark background and all this stuff and i said it's amazing i said because you captured exactly what it looks like and he says well what it looks like or what it feels like he said he says tell me what it looks like i said well it's like i said in every firefighter show you see inside the house i said you can't it's pitch black it's dark and i said the scariest thing is is that you're crawling through this place and it's nothing but smoke it's complete blackness until you get to this eerie glow. And I said, and as you approach this glow, like you're going towards the end of the tunnel, you get to the room where the fire is at, and that's the only place that you can see is the most dangerous place that you can be. And I said, and that's when you can see, when it's super hot and it's lit up. And if you can see it, you're in danger. You're, there you are. Like now you've got to deal with it. And I said, this picture that you've depicted, if you were to tell me a fireman wrote, painted this, I said, I would believe it because it looks like when you're just about to break that barrier, when you can almost see the fire, but you can't. I said, it's amazing that you captured that. And I, in that moment, I realized that's what it is, is that there are certain types of artwork that speaks to certain people. And it's not universal. And I'm sure that painting didn't sell. Like Most people just looked at it and thought, what is this? But there are certain games that will speak to people. And I think Dime Walker will only speak to about 10% of the board game community. But those that it does, it will in a way that will be as important and as classical and as not elegant, but just smooth. 
it's one of those games where it's like it's either going to be your number one or right not yeah. yeah it's like i've seen so many people post this in their top 10 it's not going to be in my number one. I love, I love watch, I love getting on BGG and when somebody, if you want to see a post that lights up, somebody says my top ten, you just everybody clicks on it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you say top ten, whatever. Yeah, people will click on it because Clickbait. I will click on that to see, and I will judge you harshly. Oh, oh, oh speaking of which, we have a top, 10. we have a top ten. So let me speak. So let me speak harshly. That's a very no. It's a good top ten, except for a couple games which I want to address. This podcast is going to go long, but I'm going to speak to that just too. Who? And I don't know this person. We've not gotten an email from them in the past. I don't think we have. I have not seen an email from this person in the past. This is from Mr. Eric Hammett. Eric Hammett. His top 10. Number 10. Castles of Burgundy. Respected. The color palette on that is awful, but Castles of Burgundy is a solid game. I would say the Castles of Burgundy card game, even better. But that's just me. And number nine, Power Grid. Very interesting. Power Grid has one of the best catch-up mechanics, and I like. The thing that makes Power Grid one of those classical games is the three distinct games that you're playing. Mm-hmm. The bidding, the resource, the, bidding. the resource management, and the area control slash route building. Love the build. And, and the bidding. I think... The, I don't want to say Power Grid's ever been killed. There's other games that do one of those things better, but it's hard to find a game that does Power Grid. Yeah. Number eight, Automania. Automania's solid. We played that once at BGG several years ago. Uh, It's a unique game. Another unique game that I would like to play again because of its uniqueness. I wish they would reprint that or make it more readily available. Number seven, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Voyages of Marco Polo. Excellent game. I, I, I just I love. I will play Marco Polo anytime An you ask. Excellent game. Number six, Airlines Europe. I, Alan, uh, yes, Moon's one of his best. Like I know everybody plugs Ticket to Ride. I give me give me Airlines Europe any day, even it, though it's probably not in stock or what, what, what do they call that it's not in print it's not in but print right airlines now. europe is an amazing stock speculation route building game i think that it is probably airlines europe should be ticket to ride airlines europe yes airlines the stock in that game again it's in it, uh, we just we're doing me and jerry are doing our top 25s i believe it's in my top 25 airlines europe yes yeah Number five, Rising Sun. Congratulations for not putting Blood Rage. That's the only thing I'll say about that. I've never played Rising Sun. Never I, have. I played Blood Rage one time to know. It's okay. Okay, here's where we fear a little bit from uh, the board game snob beliefs, but it's okay. I had it in mind for the first couple of years. Number four, Scythe. Scythe. It's okay. You know... It's beautiful. It has beautiful design. I, I have beautiful been, design. I have been playing Iron Harvest, the um, Scythe video game. It just come on Xbox Pass. Oh, yeah. And so I've given it a chance to play it. Scythe is not... Scythe is one of those beautiful games that just is shallow. It is the... It's the... It's just the Megan Fox of the board game world. How dare you? Hansa Teutonica is number three. Number three, Hansa Teutonica. Uh, a recent get of Jerry's. Yeah. And since we've played it, 
my god what it's, an amazing it's game freaking amazing if i love haunted I, to it's w- a game unlike uh, like demarker as we've just talked about I haven't played a game like Hansa Teutonica. What an amazing game. El Grande. Number two. El Grande. And I told him... I seen that you had replied about the uh, El Grande. I said solid list. Other than El Grande and Scythe, it's probably one of the better lists I've seen. Here's why I'll... here's, Here's why... Okay, so El Grande, not just with Tammany Hall, which supposedly killed El Grande. I see why people like El Grande. I think there are so many other games out there that does what El Grande does better. If you want a better theme with some craziness, as much, even though I didn't particularly like it, uh, what's the space game that was Havoc? What's the Cry Havoc? Cry Havoc. Cry Havoc does that very similarly. Even even Royals, even Royals has a very freaking love Royals. Freaking love Royals, and even the King is Dead Second Edition does a very similar, but to me a very more tighter mechanic on that with the eight cards. El Grande's fine. It's, I feel like it's been outdone since. Okay, his number one is Concordia, and here's why people love Concordia. Every time I've played Concordia, I've just been impressed by how smooth, how sleek it is and just how you know when you watch something on television and you know what to expect from everything yes like you watch an episode of the office and you know what every person is going to do because you feel familiar with it that's what concordia is you know exactly what to do there's no ambiguity there's no hesitation it's just there and Concordia is an amazing game because of that. And I see a lot of people rate Concordia, even though it's very light and it can be very dull in a lot of respects, as being their number one. Concordia is just a pure, just a pure game. I mean, I it, agree. it is just a slick game. And I, uh, I, it's hard to, you know, when you have something like Concordia, it's hard to distill down what is it. Is it the player board? It's interesting that he has a lot of games that have a player board on them. Uh, what's his name again? I didn't see his name. Eric? Eric Hammett. Eric Hammett. If you want something deeper, I would definitely try Underwater Cities and The Godfather. Because, man, I love those both. But see, but see I, I, I prefer Concordia to The Godfather. You do? Yes. I love Concordia. I love The Godfather. But I like what Concordia does better. I like those cards being the multiplier. I love that in all games. I love multipliers. Uh, but Concordia is just streamlined. You got those resources. You got that hand management. You got the card multipliers. I freaking love Concordia. It's and I have no problem being it somebody's number one game because it does what it does probably the best, in my opinion. It's it's good, it's good. That's all we have time for. We gotta get off here. We got more stuff to do. But y'all stay tuned. We've got our interview with Mr. Don Don Gilstrap. Yeah, he's in August though. We've gonna put his podcast off till August. I don't know. His Kickstarter is August twenty fourth. Backyard chickens. Drop the the. Yeah, just the chickens. The backyard chickens. Like Madonna. Uh, We played Oath. 
We're going to play other stuff. We got Space Race and Edo and uh, I don't know. Profiteers. Who knows what we're going to do? We just want you to know we love you. Take care of your mental health. And also, please send us an email because we're going to be doing our twenty top 25. Yes. And the reason we picked I've done my top 25. I've done it. And mine is shocking to myself. Okay. Well, I... Nobody's more shocked than me. We're going to put a lot of effort in this top 25. We might even have Enrique do his top five or top 10. Oh. He's shocking to him. He's surprised. But send us your top 10, top five, top 25, whatever you want to do, just send it to us because I'm interested and we will hate on it. Uh, We didn't hate on Eric. We actually Uh, respect El Grande Scythe. Uh, Yeah, they've been killed. But you know what? I think that. I think it's important uh, to play... I Hansa think, Teutonica does Scythe better. Just saying. I think it's important to play Scythe and El Scythe, Grande Scythe is fine. to move on to something else. There you go. It's kind of like you, 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 you have to like Megan Fox to move on to Emma Stone. There you go. And eventually you move on to Jennifer Conley, Elizabeth Weinstein. Move on. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. I'm Gavi. Hey, Jerry. Oh, this the is just one. as Jerry. That's Jerry. This and is Enrique. Hi. Say, and goodbye. Bye. Say goodbye, Enrique. And- Thank you for listening to the Board Game Snobs. Stay classy.